Welcome to the Real Life Webinar. Whether you're experiencing hardship, searching for encouragement and motivation, or simply want a refreshing reminder that you are not alone, we're so glad that you're with us. Our hope is that you find these discussions about real life topics helpful and discover practical ways to apply this information and advice to your life. We are here to help you find real solutions to real problems. Welcome to Real Life, presented by Chestnut Ridge Church. I'm your host, Jim Matuga. Today on Real Life, our topic is freedom from anxiety, and we'll be discussing the challenges, the issues, and even the concerns related to anxiety. Our goal is to give you some professional, practical, and some biblical advice to help you and your loved ones not only understand what anxiety is, but some real ways to deal with this issue so that you can cope with this in our society today. And we have a great panel of experts lined up for you from the team at Stillwater Counseling right here in Morgantown, West Virginia. First, we have Dr. Jennifer Randall Reyes. Jen is a PhD and licensed professional counselor at Stillwater. Jen, thanks for being on our panel today. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Yes. Al Kasperwitz. Al is a licensed psychologist and a co-founder of Stillwater. Al, it's great to have you with us once again. Yeah, it's great to be here too, Jim. Absolutely. Travis Watson. Travis is a licensed professional counselor and a clinician at Stillwater. Travis, we're glad you're here with us once again as well. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks, Jim. Absolutely. You know, experiencing an occasional anxiety issue is part of normal life. I mean, we've all been there. However, people sometimes are diagnosed with anxiety disorders, and they frequently have intense and excessive persistent worry and even fear about everyday situations. Uh, and I could think back over the last 18 months ago, I think we could all agree that it seems like anxiety is all around us today. Uh, people anxious about getting sick with COVID-19 or uh, just anxious about going back to work or having your kids back in school. So many situations, there is absolutely a lot going on with anxiety. And so we believe that this collective passion and expertise of our panel today on this topic will help a lot of people. So let's just jump right in. Jen, I'd love to start with you. Uh, from your professional perspective, if we could talk a little bit about what we mean by the word anxiety and perhaps characterize um, what it feels like when somebody is experiencing uh, anxiety in their life. Yeah, great question, Jim. Well, two things. First and foremost, if you're not anxious, that's a really bad thing in medical terminology, right? We have to have some level of anxiety functioning in our bodies for our heart to beat, for our breath to move through our lungs, for blood mm. to pump through our veins. So I've worked with quite a few medical professionals over the years. And one of the jokes that I always use with them when they're experiencing their own anxieties, hey, it could be worse. You could be flatlining right? Because that really is truly the absence in the human body of anxiety, right? Is death. And so I think anxiety at a very baseline level is a normal human function that we all do, yeah. whether we talk about it or not. Now that's a different question. So I like that you said anxiety. What, what does that feel like on the inside? Because most often with anxiety, that's the initial symptom right? You're seeing mm -hmm. it inwardly before there's ever an outward representation that anything's going on. In fact, and I know we'll get into this when we're really talking about high functioning anxiety and a lot of folks that have been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorders fall into that higher functioning anxiety category where to anyone else observing them or their process, we would just go, wow, that's a control freak. Right, or we would wow. say, yeah. wow, that's an A-type personality, right? We would look at that person from the outside and say, they're really a high achiever. This is somebody that's at the top of their game, the top of their respective field. And I'm not saying that's always the case, but certainly quite often what we're seeing underneath that is somebody that has learned to turn that little engine that starts to rev up. That's almost how I demonstrate it, right? Like this revving feeling inside of our chest. And they've learned to turn that into an outward expression through 
lots of managerial tasks, right? They're really good at getting lots of things done in short amounts of time or short bursts of energy. Mm. That's on one side of the spectrum, right? On the opposite side of the spectrum is more where really complicated and complex diagnoses reside if we're talking about obsessive compulsive disorder, right? As a function of an underlining anxiety as well, where it's debilitating to somebody's ability and would be really obvious for a lot of people from the outside looking in that there's something going in internally that's generating a significant amount of anxiety. So at a baseline, I think we've all experienced it, whether we'll talk about it or not. I think it's usually on a scale for most of us on any given day and any given moment. One of the things that I often ask clients is, okay, so on a scale of zero to 10, where zero is totally calm, cool, and collected, and 10 is, Jen, I'm going to have a panic attack at any moment. I feel like there's an elephant sitting on my chest. If Mm. this isn't a heart attack then I probably need some coping strategies, Yeah. right? I asked them to rate their anxiety over the last week or over the last two weeks since I've last seen them. So we have a baseline to go from so I can better understand how they're functioning in relationship to a really normal human emotion. Now, Jen, is, is it feasible that somebody can be all of those in, in, in every, you know, from a zero to a, a 10 and everything in between at the same, like in the same day? You know, maybe you're dealing with something small, but then all of a sudden it becomes something, you know, you build it up into a, I always use the, the term spin, you know, you, you, you have one thing and then next, it leads to the next thing. And next thing, you know, the whole world's ending tomorrow. Right. And you feel this, like, like this uh, idea that you're really spinning out of control. Is it, is it feasible that somebody can be in that whole spectrum and in, in the course of say a day or, or two days or an hour, an hour. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. Or a couple of minutes. I was going to say an hour, but I didn't want to call attention to myself, you know, but uh, okay. Yeah. Like, wow. Makes... Jim's really pushing this a little long. I feel like that's at least let's shorten that down uh-huh. to an hour. Oh, yeah. I would good. say that's, that here's the other the yep. caveat that I would say there, Jim, with that and why I'm laughing a little is that for clients, cause I'm a trauma therapist by, mm-hmm. trauma, by trade. So I deal mainly with trauma. Yeah, And I would say for clients that are experiencing anxiety as a function of traumatic experience, all of those from zero to 10 and back again, quite frankly, can happen in the span of moments when triggered. So wow. I think it's, yeah, it, it can happen in the span of an hour, a day, but I think it's pretty normal. And I think most of us have a set point, right? Like we know, uh, I kind of operate between a four and a seven yeah. when I'm doing yeah. well, right? Yeah. And it's when I really need to start paying attention when, ooh, I've dropped to like a three. So maybe I'm just not getting excited about anything, Mm. right? And that might be a sign of something else versus, ooh, I've been at an eight, nine, 10 for the last three days and counting. That's That's, the time to get started. That is very good to know. Thank you for your your, uh, wisdom on that and, and that explanation. Al, I'd love to hear what you're thinking about this particular uh, topic of anxiety. Sure. In, in the breadth of what you and Jen started with, uh, a couple of things that are interesting. Out of all the conditions that uh, mental health professionals are likely to diagnose, anxiety disorders are by far and away the most common. Um, and it also speaks to the breadth of how they're experienced and how they're manifest. And Jen was definitely touching on that. I think in essence, people will recognize that in their own experience, There can be cognitive elements in terms of their thought life. There can be emotional qualities associated with anxiety, most often for people who are having difficulties in that area in terms of a level of fear or dread or apprehension. Mm. And then as Jen also touched on, it's not always concomitant for all experiences, but there can often be often be a, um, a very palpable, and I, I choose that word uh, and, and not not tongue in cheek, uh, but a, a physiologic component that is recognized as well. Hmm. And what's interesting is not everybody will have all those different domains represented, and some will be not- notable because, for example, in panic disorder, and when an individual first has a panic attack, let's say, they may not be aware of anything in their environment that's causing a certain sense of dread or apprehension. Their thought life may be just perfectly fine that day, 
but suddenly their heart is beating excessively. They're sweaty. They've got zigzaggy lines in their visual field. Wow. And they'll go to see their physician. And in fact, many people who present with this um, primarily somatic display of anxiety are absolutely convinced they're having a heart attack. Mm. And that, that you know, um, what we think you're experiencing is anxiety. They, they just can't believe it. Wow. So there are different ways in which anxiety can manifest. And that also contributes to how broad the experience is and the different types of things that are used to treat it. But in almost all cases, by the time it reaches clinical concern, one of two things are happening. Either there's functional disruption associated with how people get through their social life or occupational life or interpersonal life because of the anxiety that they're, speak, they're experiencing and or the level of emotional distress just associated with the experience is really something that's kind of cramping their style. Yeah. Al, you know, Jen talked to the fact that, you know, anxiety is part of normalcy, right? If you're a hum human being, you're going to have anxiety. That's, that's actually not a bad thing, right? To some, to some degree. Mm -hmm. Is it safe to say that we're just living in tense times today? <laughs> I think, <coughs> excuse me, Jeff. I think every generation would say they're living in tense times. <laughs> yeah. um, I think Moses, right? Well, Moses. Truly, yeah. to, to the point that you raise, and I think, you know, when you hear us talking a little bit more about the disorders and the, the, how, they're, how they manifest, um, as Jen was introducing, anxiety is a very adaptive experience. A certain level of activation physiologically or in terms of your concern can actually help promote performance. And um, there are things associated with the environment that should prompt a level of concern or focus or heightened attention. Um, I think it really is when people feel that the degree to which they're experiencing that stress or that uncertainty or the worry is really starting to um, predominate and diminishing their ability to feel comfortable or to feel that they can function as they normally would. That's when it can become more problematic. And as you point out, there will be times in every generation, certain environmental, political, um, weather-related phenomenon that really do grab people's attention and have them worrying excessively, not just about the present and how we're going to get through this or how we're going to get by, but what does this mean for my family? What does this mean for my kids going forward yeah. financially? Sure. If we have to now be worried about um, insecticides in our food, if we have to worry about the air that we breathe. I mean, just a lot of things that as we become more familiar with what we perceive to be risks or things that deter from quality of life, that level of anxiety, both on a personal, a cultural, and even on a national basis can ramp up very easily. COVID, Afghanistan, uh, a whole variety of things, even recently that would have people very, very concerned. Um, and we haven't had for a while a real marked financial concern, uh, but you don't have to scratch the surface very hard these days to have people thinking about a crash in the stock market or even continued problems with COVID and how it's gonna affect the economy. So yeah. these things environmentally and socially absolutely can create a greater sense of activation. Yeah, just, just listening to you talk about those different things that we're experiencing, especially you know uh, since last March or so, here in, in, in our area, you know, it's no wonder that sometimes people don't want to leave their house and they have anxiety and they're dealing with panic attacks and everything. I mean, if you think about it, you know, you've, you've got to have, and I can't wait to talk about some of these coping mechanisms, but it's no wonder, right. That, that, that these types of things happen. Travis, I'd love to get your take on this and, and hear, hear what you're thinking. Yeah. Um, something that, that just to kind of echo and maybe say like a little bit differently than what uh, uh, Jen and Al have said already, but uh, I, I always start with, is, is it appropriate? So is your anxiety mm -hmm. response to what's going on in your life appropriate? Um, you know, there's, Jen kind of mentioned generalized anxiety. And that's, to me, that's more of a disorder where it's, you have a hard time finding the appropriateness and it's like a high level of anxiety like most of the time throughout your day. Yeah. Um, but I find a lot of more of what's, what's considered adjustment disorder with anxiety. And you can place an event and you can say, this thing happened in your life. And it may even be an appropriate amount of anxiety, you know, maybe a loss of a loved one, uh, maybe a pandemic, uh, maybe a loss of your job because of the pandemic. 
Um, but being able to work through that and deal with that and, and, and adjust to the changing times and the way things are different, uh, that, that's where a lot of like my treatment focuses. Um, but uh, I always think too, um, you know, if we, if your ancestors, you know, 5,000 years ago didn't have anxiety, you wouldn't be here today probably. You know, I'm sure there was a lion, a tiger, or a bear at some point where if you weren't on it, then, you know, you were going to, you weren't, you, you were going to be the slowest one in the pack. And we know what that means. Is that, is that fight or right. flight? Is that, that's the fight or flight response? Exactly. Right. And, uh, well, we've become so civilized today that, you know, that, that kind of level of being aware and being constantly looking for the next place of danger isn't necessary all the time. You know, um, opening an email isn't like going around the corner where you know that mountain lion lives or whatever. So um, it's it, it's appropriate to have anxiety and, and you need to have it, it's healthy. But at the same time, being able to be rational and I always say have a relationship with your anxiety. Like your anxiety is trying to tell you something. It's trying to tell you, hey, this is something you really care about. You really care about your performance at work or you really care about not getting your family sick, or you really care about um, being able to financially support your family and recognize what that anxiety is telling you. And then that's a good place to start moving forward. Yeah, um, I, I think that's 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 really great, um, great insight, Travis. I, I love the fact that you talk about and ask the question, is it appropriate, right? So not everything is a 10 response, right? Some things might be a one response and then, if it's appropriate, then it may be a nine or a nine and a half, right? And I think that that kind of talks to what Jen was speaking about, right? And having that um, that uh, continuum, I guess, uh, is it a zero or is it a 10, right? Is, is that what you're kind of referencing, Jen? Is that kind of what you're thinking there and uh, in, in alluding to when you're speaking of that uh, to Travis's question, is it appropriate? Is that kind of, does that make sense? Yeah, and I think to go back to that scale, right? That some of us naturally get the privilege of operating between a four and a seven, right? Yep, right. And there are others that if we look to some of the events of the last 18 months, if we move beyond the pandemic of disease and move to another pandemic of race and culture, then we're talking about whole swaths of our population that don't have the privilege to operate between a four and a seven, right? That their levels culturally are much higher at a six to an eight, right? So I think Travis's point is a good one where if I am working with a client of color and we're talking about their experience having moved to rural Appalachia to live from an urban major city center, mm. And the cultural differences and disparities that they are facing as an outsider living in this area, right, on a number of levels there, racially, culturally, then I know that maybe their response is appropriate for yeah. them and what they've experienced in the world, right? And so it's also, I think, looking outside of my lens, right, and really trying to look through the lens of my client and helping to understand what is an appropriate response. Well, that's powerful. Jenna, I, I, you know, you've, you're, you've got your PhD. Uh, you're a smart person. I could tell I've never met you, but I can just tell by listening to you. Thank you have you, a lot of it. You have a lot of insight on this stuff. Uh, so one of, one of the things that I'm thinking about, and, and I, this is just my, my uh, anecdotal evidence here, but it seems mm -hmm. like, you know, we have access to information like never before, right in the palm of our hands these days with our mobile devices and the internet and we learn about things almost as they're happening. We have live streamed videos of these catastrophic events, you know, like storms and wars and just violence and, and all these things. And it pervades our world, right? All you have to do is just turn your phone on and you're getting bombarded with this, these, I would say like anxiety provoking content every day, everywhere, it seems like, right? And, and, you know, Travis, you were talking about our ancestors. I think about my grandparents, you know, they, they, they didn't seem to be worried about much back when I was a little kid. Maybe it was just because, you know, that was 
the way it is, or maybe that they, they hit it well, but they also didn't have 24 seven live streaming of all these events. Jenna, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, is that, is that aiding in this anxious world that we're living in? Undoubtedly. I mean, undoubtedly, Jim, I don't think there would be anyone that would argue the contra- the counterpoint to that, right? Yeah. Like, I think yeah. that having um, unlimited knowledge is not unlimited power, right? Like, right. Marvel and well, DC but, Comics yeah. have gotten it wrong all these years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and while it makes for a really great hero narrative, it doesn't in the day-to-day lives of people, because I think we are just overwhelmed, you know? There are two researchers, um, Dr. Brene Brown, and I apologize, of course, I'm going to forget their names in a clutch moment, but Dr. Brene Brown had them on her podcast a couple of weeks ago. They've just written an incredible article for the Washington Post, and they're researching this, what they are calling pandemic fatigue, Yeah. right? As this, as an anxiety disorder of its own, and they're Mm. calling it pandemic fatigue, right? But they don't I think I have it. I have it. <laughs> right. I think we all do. Right. So as I'm hearing Travis talking about adjustment disorders, it's like, mm-hmm, check me too. Everyone <laughs> on the planet right now would qualify for an adjustment disorder. Right. Yeah. Because we're having a difficult time adjusting to something which is so outside of our norm. Mm. We don't have any, there's no guidepost for it. Right. There's no sign. Yeah. Um, mm. At least when we look to ourselves alone right Mm. to guide us through something like this and so i think as you're saying jim right like (laughs) just the amount of information that we are inundated with and then quite frankly having the ability again from a very privileged perspective to make the choice to step away from that right to not have to interact with that kind of news cycle on a 24 7 basis Mm. in and of itself is a privilege you know so i don't want to while yes there is quite a lot that I think adds to that pandemic fatigue that we're, we are all battling on a number of levels right now. There's also an element of the accountability that that kind of knowledge 24 seven, I think is creating in the world that is very different than anything we've seen. So I'm sure your grandparents probably weren't thinking, gosh, (laughs) I'm gonna have to think about this behavior as I'm interacting with Ted the milkman, because that might have ramifications if Sally in Australia gets to live stream the way that I berate him for being five minutes late. Wow. Like, there's a whole different so level crazy. of accountability. Now yeah. Well, you know, it, it, it seems to me like there's a fine line between being informed and being overwhelmed. Uh-huh. Right. And, and we're past it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Al, I'd love to, to hear your thoughts on, you know, obviously you interact with, with patients and, and clients there at Stillwater, uh, dealing with anxiety. What are, what are some things like that, you know, that maybe somebody who's watching this might be a high school student or in college, or maybe they have a family member that they think is going through a tough time. What are some, what are some, uh, telltale signs to be on the lookout for somebody who might be experiencing anxiety? It's quite varied. And I'll go back to part of what we discussed before is that the way in which anxiety is manifest can be manifold. So you can certainly see it in a level of emotional distress. You're most often to hear people talk about their specific worries or concerns, the things that they are becoming more obsessed by or preoccupied by, the things that they can't get out of their thoughts along those lines. Um, And I'll reference what you and Jen were kicking around there a little bit about um, increasingly as society develops, there is the assumption that the more we know about something, the more quickly we can discontinue the source of our distress. And um, that really is a very kind of two-edged sword. Um, We Mm -hmm. benefit from having greater knowledge about things that may have um, benefit in terms of relieving some forms of suffering you know, across the sphere. So whether it's in medical science or whether it's in agriculture or whether it's in technology, the fact that we understand properties and um, have a better approach to what might, you know, benefit circumstances. But uh, even in terms of social media, it's remarkable in the Mm -hmm. midst of difficulty, there is this immediate assumption that if you're on top of your game, you should be able to know enough about this to discontinue it or find somebody else who can help you take care of it. And so the expectation that we can instantly remedy 
the things that would create anxiety is a huge struggle for, for a lot of folks. And so you will see manifestations where people are also feeling guilty that they didn't do enough um, to advance their child's education. They should be doing more in terms of their finances to make sure they have a better standard of living. Um, you know, they didn't wash their apples or they didn't make sure that their lead, uh, their paint didn't contain lead. And so this remarkable mm -hmm. sense of apprehension uh, uh, Travis was speaking to it earlier, we are remarkably vigilant to the things that we assume we should know to avoid the whole experience. And then bottom line, with regard to a lot of anxiety, it, it strongly reinforces two factors. Um, if you fear something, if you dread something, you either avoid it, right? And try to find ways of avoiding it. And as I've indicated, primarily by trying to reduce your contact with it, or you escape something once you're exposed to it. And unfortunately, both of those fairly adaptive coping strategies when you're faced with fear also heighten and reinforce the fear itself. So if I figure out that the only way that I can avoid my fear of uh, having germs contaminate me is to vigorously wash my hand after every contact, I feel relieved that after I wash my hand or I touch the doorknob, okay, I don't think I'm as bad off here as I would if I hadn't, but it increases this necessary sense that I have to do the same thing again and again. And in terms of symptomatic expression, one of the things that people often talk about, and I'm sure that Jen and Travis have had this, people say, I don't know if I'm anxious or depressed. And mm. one of the things about anxiety, it's amazingly depleting. So one of the things that we're commonly going to see among our clients who are presenting with longstanding or acute anxiety is a sense that their sleep may be disturbed, their appetite may be disturbed, just their way of being able to focus is affected by the kind of predominant theme of their body being agitated or aroused, uh, their mind not being able to quiet, and their emotional register just feeling like it's above and beyond their ability to control. Yeah, Travis, I, I would love to get your thoughts on that. But what my takeaway from what Al just said there is, is, is basically that anxiety comes with life, but it doesn't have to dominate your life. I, I, I'm paraphrasing all uh, everything that Al just said there. And I feel like you know, God's plan for us is not to have a life that's drenched in, in anxiety, right? He, he doesn't want us to do that. He doesn't want us to live in that, in that place. What are your, what are your thoughts on that, Travis? Yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of things come to mind. I, I, I think I'm really going to date myself, uh, with what I'm going to say here, but, uh, I, I saw a, a meme the other day on, I think it was, my wife showed it to me. It was on her Facebook and uh, it said, you know, for, for all of our parents who warned us that video games and rap music were going to rot our brains, you know, now they're taken to Facebook and it's like everyone's on their phone. And like, it's really affecting like all generations of people and really being pulled into social media and, uh, and what it does to you on a daily basis, right? Um, and I kind of see it like that. It's almost like that scene from Aladdin where... You know, they walk into the cave and you're not allowed to touch any of the treasure except for the lamp. And if you do, everything crumbles in around you. And I kind of liken that to what's your mental diet like? So when you're going on to your social media, what are you, what are you engaging in? If, you know, if Uncle Jerry is just posting all the uh, right wing, left wing, whatever wing. Conspiracy uh, theories. Yeah, that just like really make you not feel good. Like, sorry, Uncle Jerry, but I'm going to block your content on my Facebook because yeah. it's, it's not benefiting me. So like, so if whenever you interact with your electronics, like I really do think that we as a culture, we rushed into the digital age and without pumping the brakes and looking and saying, how good is this for me? Um, and how do I protect myself? And, and it's important to have that conversation. And just to like to piggyback on what Al said, the interaction between anxiety and depression, I, yeah. I find it so funny is like, I, point. I, I read, you know, papers that come out, scientific papers, but then I read the Bible and, um, you know, in uh, Proverbs 12, uh, verse 25, it says, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. And, you know, that was written by King Solomon, right? Yeah. So 
one of the wisest people ever to live. Yeah. And that many years ago, knowing that anxiety and depression play off each other like that. And that um, it's just, and looking into it further and, and it's just all the, all these connections to what we've already said. Uh, when you look into the Hebrew word for anxiety, it means heaviness of heart. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I'm having a heart attack, right? Whenever I feel anxiety, just all these things like this isn't, this isn't new. And this has been dealt with for, for millennium. So um, that's kind of where, where my mind goes with what we're talking about here. Yeah, Jen, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I, I liked you, you kind of chuckled when when Travis was talking about that. And I'd, I'd love to hear what you were what you were thinking. Well, I was really hoping Travis wasn't going to date himself with a reference that I was going to be like, oh shoot, <laughs> I'm five years ahead of him on that. Yeah. He's so old. <laughs> and then it and then it was he's talking about you know like Aladdin, and I knew it was like the Robin Williams <laughs> Disney version. I'm like, oh god, that's like what my kid brother watched, not me. I'm too old for that. Yeah. Now, I think, Travis, you're making a really good point. Um, I'm always reminded when I think of anxiety, right? And when I think of biblical guidance on anxiety, it's always Matthew for me, right? Like time and time again, it is always coming back to Matthew and thinking about just those verses that talk about asking you shall receive, right? Mm -hmm. Like, why would I give you this stone if that's not what you're asking for. Yeah. And knowing that when we are truly asking for guidance, and I think this goes back to what Al is saying, that it can't be the, oh, give it to me. Give me relief because that's what I want. And I'll better. And I would like that instantaneous, please, with a latte, no foam. Right? Like, that, that's how I would like it. And that's not what our emotional process, yeah. right? Given that there is a thinking, right? That cognitive component that Al's talking about, the emotional component, the physiological component, with all three of those combined, like Travis said, our anxiety is showing us to tell us something, right? What if we greeted it as a friend, as a friend that is here to say, hey, remember, if you ask for it, you're not going to get the thing that you don't want. Mm. You're going to get the thing you do want. That's and awesome. I think the subtext there is like, but you may not get it right now. There might be some work involved in getting it. Absolutely. Jenna, I think you're, you're, that is such great insight, uh, you know, from a biblical standpoint, but I, I think it ties in with Travis's question. Is it appropriate? Right. Because I think sometimes, you know, we, we go to God with our prayer, uh, but he knows our plan. He has a timetable. We have a timetable, but we're operating on his, his timetable, not ours. He has a plan. You know, he's not necessarily wanting us to follow our plan, but he's his plan, right? So I think that's, uh, that, that is an appropriate question. I wrote that down because I think that's so, such a powerful, powerful cup of you know what is our reaction to the to the stimulus right so i, I think that uh, you know if uh, if a war breaks out on our in our on our soil in, our, in america our response is probably going to be a 10 right if a world uh, if a war is breaking out across you know the, the ocean uh, in some third world country maybe we're going to have a three or four but Jen, I loved what you said. I think you said uh, operating in a four to seven is like the, that's where we're, we have the, the, um, the privilege to be operating in that, in that kind of a uh, anxiety field, if you will. So I, I think, um, and I would just like to share some, you know, since we were talking about Bible passages, for me, Philippians four, uh, verse four through eight is probably the, the, I think a person would be hard pressed to find a more applicable passage in the Bible for our everyday lives. And the thing that I always love about, you know, first, uh, you know, Paul says, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, again, rejoice with an exclamation point. You know, he's telling us that we're supposed to be rejoicing in the Lord, not uh, fearing and not having um, anxiety and anxious thoughts. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which I love that the peace of God, 
which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So that's what does it for me. Uh, whenever I start getting those feelings of tightness and uh, shortness of breath, not a heart attack, but uh, you know, I would go to the ER for that. But when I'm starting to feel worried about something, I, I try to go back to that verse and just remember that that is very profound wisdom. Al, do you have anything to add on that topic? Well, I, I think there are a lot of folks, Jim, like you and, and Travis and uh, Jen, who really enjoy that verse. There's some really remarkable qualities of that. <clears throat> and I'll go back to the fact that as, as Paul is, is speaking to us, and he's basically saying, you know, almost rhetorically, be anxious for nothing. But he says, as you said, in everything, every sense of uncertainty or concern or apprehension or worry or doubt, um, he talks about a posture that, that we find ourselves in, which yes. is talking to the Lord. And that word petition is also sometimes used as, as um, a supplication, essentially, this earnest humility and with thanksgiving. And you can imagine telling somebody or sharing with somebody in the midst of your anxiety, the idea that you could talk to the Lord. It's like, yeah, I, I get that. And the idea of you know, this earnest humility, it's like, yeah, but I'm really, really worried about this. And that thanksgiving part, I'm really not feeling very thankful. I'm feeling worried, I'm feeling scared. <laughs> and, and so Paul's not necessarily speaking from an imperative, but it goes to the next things you mentioned. It doesn't say, and if you pray in this manner, God's gonna change the circumstances. And it doesn't say if you pray in this manner, he's going to take your anxiety from you. Yeah. What's remarkable as you kind of meditate on it, as you really enjoy this portion, he talks about he's going to deliver to you a state of well-being. Yeah. So peace is not defined by the cessation of chaos, right? It is yeah. a state of well-being. And, and we can't even of, understand it. Right? Oh, no. And, 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 and Jim, that's just it. I think even for people who get the construct, it's a really weird thing to think about. Okay, so in the midst of my worry, you're going to tell me if I adopt this posture, if I'm, if I'm connecting in this way, I'm going to receive a state of well-being that surpasses my understanding. It guards my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. And I've sometimes illustrated this to, to, to parents in particular. If you have a young child who comes to you and they have a cut on their finger, okay? They certainly know that the cut is there and they may be asking, and I'm going to date myself and Jen, how about a SpongeBob SquarePants Band-Aid reference? <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> what, what they'll do is they may go to a parent or an adult and, <clears throat> and what they're looking for is the Band-Aid to be placed. The child does not perceive that the cut is gone, but the state of well-being that comes from receiving this Band-Aid, it, it surpasses the anxiety or the challenge of the cut alone. Wow. And as I was sharing with you, I think we often, even among believers, you hear people say, well, you know, Jim, I've done everything I can do. Now all I can do is pray. As though the first line of defense is to have <laughs> the circumstances remedied or changed. And what, what Paul is orienting us to is in the midst of these things that are burdening you, I need you to recognize that his love for you, his mercy, his relationship mm. with you can extend to you a peace, a state of well-being mm. that surpasses your thoughts and your concerns. And it's interesting because right after that verse, he basically says, you know, finally, brethren, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, what is of good report. He, he describes a number of characteristics. He yeah. says, set your mind on these things. Yes. And he says, those things that you have heard and learned and received and seen in me. Paul's talking about his own ministry. Do them, engage them, and the God of peace shall be with you. And so I think this opportunity to know peace in the face of concurrent malady and concern while we're looking for those changes to occur, or we'd prefer that we didn't feel this way, there's an opportunity in faith to receive this peace that surpasses understanding. So good. So, I mean, so powerful. And, and I could, Al, as you're, as you're talking this through, I, he's giving us these amazing visuals to cast our eyes on and to think about things that are excellent or praiseworthy. Yeah. And I could almost hear the chains rattling from his shackles as he's telling us this story from prison, you know? And, and if, I mean, what, what kind of mindset that that takes, you know, to have that kind of faith. And, and it's just, it's, it's just overwhelmingly hopeful to me mm -hmm. to hear that. And, uh, 
I don't know, just, uh, it was just awesome. I just wanted to say that, uh, you know, guys, you know, I think, I think about, I mean, we could probably end right there. I mean, that, that was pretty powerful uh, section of, of this talk. Uh, I would love to, you know, give some, some practical advice to folks that are listening to this that might be experiencing anxiety. Maybe it's a, something that they've been diagnosed with clinically. Maybe it's this anxious feelings that they're having or worry. Uh, maybe it's somewhere in that continuum that, that Jen was talking about at the top of the, of the show. But I think about, um, there's some things, what are some practical things that folks can do to, to help them in this journey of overcoming anxiety? Travis, I'd love to start with you on that. Yeah, there, there, are, um, there are a couple of different things that I do. Um, a lot of times, like through an education on what distorted thinking looks like, so, and we all do distorted thinking in one way or another. It's, it's really just part of the human condition, I think, that we, we learn usually by being hurt or by going through some kind of physical or mental pain or emotional pain. And then everything that we're taking in on a daily basis, we're trying to avoid that from happening again. So, um, you know, like, for example, uh, what would be a good example? Uh, well, like, for the stove, for example, we all know that you touch the stove, you burn your hand, you learn that way. Well, and then like every time I have the stove on, I'm very mindful to try to stay away from burning myself, right? There's a level of anxiety about what the stove is and how it can hurt me. And that keeps me safe. Now, if like I refuse to cook on a stove ever again, now we're talking about a bigger problem, right? Um, so uh, I usually go through a list of distorted thinking, which I think is gonna be available for, for anybody listening. Um, yes. And it's just definitions. And uh, once you can identify like what the kind of thinking is, then you can say, huh, maybe I need to take a little, little bit of a deeper look at that um, and, and choose to think differently or choose to, choose to go about your day in a different way. Um, and, you know, Jen, Jen mentioned Matthew and, uh, you know, there's a part where Jesus tells us, uh, lay up not your treasures on earth, but lay them up in heaven. And I think about some of the anxieties, especially with world events. And when it comes to faith, like our, our faith is not supposed to be in this life. It's not supposed to be in our stock market. It's not supposed to be in, you know, our job. Our faith is supposed to be in Christ and the life that comes after this. Yes. And, you know, there's intellectually knowing that, and then there's really knowing that. And, uh, they, they say in AA all the time, the, the furthest distance you'll ever travel or the hardest distance you'll ever travel is between your head and your heart. And I think that that's really true sometimes when it comes to faith. And like, uh, like God said to, to Paul, you know, sometimes his grace is sufficient. And going through anxiety and going through some of these things, if you're able to have the perspective of this is a time, this is a chance for me to grow, Hmm. then then that is really like you're you're going to be you're not a victim you're not even going to be a survivor but you're going to be a thriver as you get through this a victor and, uh, yeah yeah a um, victor not a victim that's right and hmm. uh i had a privilege to work with a guy named uh dr abraham twersky uh, he's a rabbi who founded gateway rehab who since passed uh but there's a video online for, uh, of him talking about lobsters. And it, I know that doesn't sound like it, it, would, it would pertain, but, uh, but he says, you know, he was reading a book about lobsters and he found out that uh, a lobster is really a soft, mushy animal that grows inside a hard, rigid shell. And when it starts to grow too big for the shell, it becomes uncomfortable. And it goes onto a rock and it, the shell gets cast off and it gets another one and it's comfortable in that shell for a period of time, and then it grows again and does the same process, right? Uh, and he says, if, uh, if lobsters had doctors, they would never grow because they'd be uncomfortable and they'd go get a Valium or some Percocet or Xanax and they would just continue to be confined in their, in their shell. So um, a big part of it, I think, is growth, you know, and being growth-oriented and looking for, like, is this an opportunity for me to grow? Yeah, great. Thanks, Travis. Jen, I'd love to hear your, you know, if you have a couple of practical things that folks can do to, to help them overcome uh, some of the 
worry and anxiety in their everyday lives? Oh, okay. So I'd say I would just flip it and say, don't try to overcome it. Yeah. Oh. Don't try to overcome it. Yeah. Because that in essence is going to the doctor to get the Valium, right? Instead to turn toward it and it. to be aware that it's showing up to show you something. You know, I love that we have all come to this conversation today from different, I'm sure, beliefs and perspectives and have rooted that all in biblical verse. And yet let's go back to that for a second and think, really, when we're in the New Testament, we're talking about the life in particular of Jesus yeah. told in point and counterpoint through all of these various perspectives, right? I don't think that's an accident that we needed to hear it 12 to 15 different ways in order to get the point, right? Yeah. And yeah. so when you ask for um, practical tools, Jim, I think, gosh, it's so like that, right? Mm. So the breathing techniques that I might use with somebody mm. um, or even a little kiddo of like really deep belly breathing and thinking about making your belly expand like a balloon and then letting all of that air back out when you let the balloon mm. ah, go, you know, that's not the technique that I'm going to work with somebody else with, right? Yeah. That really might need the psychoeducational component of you're in a trauma response, right? And so your body very quickly for you is going through fight, flight, freeze, and then ultimately collapse. Mm. Right. And you might be in the collapse and we might need to work backward from that piece. So the practical skills that I give people are often very much tailored to their specific needs in the same way that I think we as mortals needed to hear the same story told to us multiple different ways to get the point. Right. And to me, the point is to think about what are the resources that somebody has what are the connections that they already have in their community, in their families, in their faith-based communities that can strengthen all of the areas where they're already strong rather than maybe starting with the focus on the thing that they think is a disorder, yeah. right? Because yeah. if we really break that word apart, it's just to be disordered. And we've all lost a sense of order at some point. Wow. No right? doubt, no doubt. And so it's about finding what works for each specific person. And I would also say to your audience that if you are somebody that you're listening to this and you're going, wow, that was so powerful that I'm in deep trubs because I'm operating at a nine or a 10 or really an 11 most days. Yeah, yeah. Then it's probably time to be talking with your loved ones, your faith community, or reaching out to a counselor or it's a, a professional help. Yep. Right. To yep. really be looking at, That's do great. I have to go to war with this thing in order to beat it into submission and to make it bend to my will? Right. Really think about that if that's your honest answer and response, yeah. because how often is that successful versus turning toward it, understanding it, maybe with some professional help? in order to move through it. Love that. Yeah, that is, that is so wise. Al, I'd love to get your, your final thoughts on that. And it's just interesting. I appreciate that part of what we've um, considered and really offered is that, that the experience of anxiety is quite normative and there are elements that are actually quite um, positive in terms of contributing to how we orient to things, how we cope with things, how we feel a level of um, kind of motivation to address things in our experience. And, and what Travis and, and uh, Jenna are both recognizing is that recognize that it's a harbinger, that something in your experience is of significance to you, but it is not in and of itself something to be diminished or taken away or taken out of play as much as you would desire that to be the outcome. And I think as we've kind of uh, deliberated on different scriptures, the idea is what is it that we know or believe that has substance and relevance in the midst of this feeling, in the midst of this experience? So rather than thinking about it as a foe that needs to be defeated, as is generous suggesting, yeah. what does this tell me about what would provide me with a certain sense of integrity and peace and clarity? And it's not the absence of the anxiety 
it's in the face of it to know and connect with that which has substance and value and integrity in the place of that. And for many of us as believers, those qualities that are enduring in terms of our relationship with the Lord, who I am in Christ, are enduring integral pieces of that peace. And to know it and to experience it, as uh, Travis was saying, Paul talked about how his grace is sufficient for me. That wasn't just like, well, if I can't get what I want, then you know, maybe this is like second best. It was like, no, I, he's learned, I've, I've known what it's like to, 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 to be diminished. I know like what it is to, to abound. Mm. And, and I've learned to be content, joyful, at peace in all circumstances. So I, I think it's a, it's a challenge for our society because we place such an emphasis on dethroning the giants, overturning the opposition. And it's difficult to concurrently relate to what is it that I believe and I know that grounds me that speaks to the essence of who I am in Jesus Christ and that he has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Amen. Wow. That is, that's powerful. Thanks Al for sharing that folks. I think this is a great place to close out our time with you all here today. I want to thank once again, the team from Stillwater Counseling in Morgantown for their time and expertise on this subject of what we called freedom from anxiety. We have Dr. Jen, Randall Reyes. Jen, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. Al Kasperwitz. Thank you, Jim. Pleasure as always. Thanks, man. It's great great to see you again. Travis Watson. Travis, thank you. It's an honor and a privilege. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you guys were awesome. You brought your A-game, and I think we added a lot of uh, value and wisdom uh, to this discussion. And I just want to thank you all again for for being here today. And finally, uh, we'll close in prayer. If you could bow your heads, Heavenly Father, thank you for thank you for this time we've spent together. Thank you for Jen and Al and Travis for their compassion and love for people. That's evident. The wisdom that they shared with each of us, Lord, you remind us throughout the pages of the Bible that we're not to be anxious, we're not to worry, but sometimes we do. We ask you for peace. Help us to understand your will for our lives, that we may all learn to live a life that is characterized by calm and not chaos, by peace and not panic. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.